Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out of pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Paige, the co host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving Olive in June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. The truth is the most convincing story that maps onto reality, and that's why the central narrative is falling apart. Right now in the United States, people should not be walking around with masks. You must see the central narrative for the fiction that it is. We are Americans. While elections are sometimes messy, this was a secure election. The founders began the fight for human liberty and self-governance, and it's up to us to finish the job. I tell you what, we are in a truth emergency right now. This is the end game. It's Tuesday, October 25th, 2022, the 643rd day of dystopia. I'm your moderator, Chris Paul. Let's be reasonable. A warm welcome and hello to all of you listening to the podcast on the day of its release. The only way to do that is by becoming a paid subscriber at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as little as $50 a year or $5 a month. You'll be supporting me and the work I do and this show as it expands. And if you can't or you simply don't want to continue listening to the podcast on a wide range of platforms, all I ask is that you share it with your friends. So I finished up yesterday with the Politico article about how Joe Biden and the illegitimate administration were set to warn Americans about the threats to the upcoming midterms, the threats to our nation's election infrastructure. And all of those threats, of course, are centered around misinformation and disinformation. Apparently, 
believing the wrong thing is a threat to election infrastructure. Because, of course, once they have declared that the no-no people believe all the no-no things, then the next step is to just simply assert that once the no-no people believe all the no-no things, they're going to do all sorts of super no-no things out in the world. They're going to intimidate voters. They're going to sow distrust in election officials just because those election officials keep failing to do their jobs according to the law. And they're going to seize on delayed results or isolated voting machine glitches to spread lies about the security of the process. That's actually how that article ended. People are going to get mad because they see unnecessarily delayed results that allow fraudulent ballots to be flooded into the system so that the communists can manipulate outcomes and election narratives. And they're going to get upset about machine glitches that change the outcomes of elections just because the no-no people think that machines shouldn't determine the outcomes of elections. Those bastards. And it's weird, isn't it, that the machines with all their isolated glitches could also happen in the same elections where there are delayed results. I mean, the whole point of the machines is that we're told counting votes is just too big a job for mere humans. And in order to make our elections safe and secure and efficient, we need to use these machines to count all the ballots. Except we used to just get results on the night of the election. And now, even two years later, we can't get legitimate results using the machines. It's crazy. But these aren't the only threats to election integrity. These aren't the only threats to our democracy. In fact, the threats to our democracy will only increase if the people choose to elect Republicans across the country in these midterm elections. Take it from Hillary Clinton, whose entire life was destroyed by Republicans winning elections. Hello, Indivisibles. I'm here to highlight something that <laughs> is keeping me up at night. And I know this group really understands what I'm about to say. I know we're all focused on the 2022 midterm elections, and they are incredibly important. But we also have to look ahead, because you know what? Our opponents certainly are. Right-wing extremists already have a plan to literally steal the next presidential election. And they're not making a secret of it. The right-wing controlled Supreme Court may be poised to rule on giving state legislatures, yes, you heard me that correctly, state legislatures the power to overturn presidential elections. Just think, if that happens, the 2024 presidential election could be decided not by the popular vote or even by the anachronistic electoral college, but by state legislatures many of them Republican-controlled. 
But there's also good news in the face of this very real threat to democracy. Indivisible has launched Crush the Coup to make sure we're ready to defend democracy in 2024. They've put together a list of critical races in six key states and how you can get involved. Will you support Crush the Coup by donating to indivisible and state legislature candidates? Each of these races is highly competitive and your dollars could very well decide the winners and the winner of the next presidential election. This could not be more important or more urgent. So let's get to the substance of what Hill Dog is saying in just a couple of minutes. But first, let's talk about who she's addressing. She recorded this message to fundraise for a group called Indivisible. So who is Indivisible? Well, this is from Breitbart on February 19th, 2017. Obama's Organizing for Action partners with Soros-linked Indivisible to disrupt Trump's agenda. Organizing for Action, the activist group that morphed from Barack Obama's first presidential campaign, has partnered with the newly formed Indivisible Project for online trainings on how to protest President Donald Trump's agenda. Last week, Breitbart News extensively reported that Indivisible leaders are openly associated with groups financed by billionaire George Soros. Politico earlier this month profiled Indivisible in an article titled Inside the Protest Movement That Has Republicans Reeling. The news agency not only left out the Soros links, but failed to note that the organization cited in this article as helping to amplify Indivisible's message are either financed directly by Soros or have close ties to groups funded by the billionaire, as Breitbart News documented. Organizing for Action is a so-called community organizing project that sprung from Obama's 2012 campaign organization, Organizing for America, becoming a nonprofit described by The Washington Post as advocating for the president's policies. In a recent Facebook post titled, Take a Deep Breath, Then Take Action, OFA called on constituents to lobby particularly hard between now and February 26th when lawmakers will be in their home districts. The post included a link to a guide released by Indivisible on how to organize against Trump. Stay tuned for online trainings and invitations to calls with coalition partners like Indivisible Guide, the OFA Post states. Paul Sperry, writing at the New York Post, relates, The manual published with OFA partner Indivisible advises protesters to go into halls quietly so as not to raise alarms and, quote, Grab seats at the front of the room, but do not all sit together. Rather, spread out in pairs to make it seem like the whole room opposes the Republican host's positions. This will help reinforce the impression of broad consensus. It also urges them to ask hostile questions while keeping a firm hold on the mic and loudly boo the GOP politician if he isn't giving you real answers. Express your concern to the event's hosts that they are giving a platform to pro-Trump authoritarianism, racism and corruption, it says. Even the safest Republican will be deeply alarmed by signs of organized opposition, the document states, because these actions create the impression that they're not connected to their district and not listening to their constituents. Isn't that amazing? It's all about the image, nothing about the substance, just about the tactics 
for convincing the public that there is a lot more support for their views than there actually is. Sperry reported that OFA plans to stage 400 rallies across 42 states this year. That's 2017 to attack Trump and Republicans over Obamacare's repeal. Earlier this month, NBC News reported on OFA's new actions and its partnership with Indivisible. OFA has hired 14 field organizers in home states to key senators as part of its campaign to defend Obama's signature health care law. To run that campaign, the group hired Saumya Narachania, I hope that's right, the former national field director at Enroll America, which worked to sign people up for Obamacare, and a deputy campaign manager. OFA says more than 1,800 people have applied to its Spring Community Engagement Fellowship, a six-week training program, two-thirds of whom have not previously been involved with OFA. And the group has teamed up with Indivisible, a buzzy newcomer to the progressive movement, to offer organizing training that began Thursday night with a video conference. A combined 25,000 people have registered to participate in those trainings, OFA said. Indivisible's D.C. branch was implicated in a scuffle last week that reportedly injured a 71-year-old staffer for Representative Dana Rohrbacher, as well as reportedly knocking a two-year-old to the ground. Protesters claimed they were only delivering Valentine's Day cards. Indivisible is part of a coalition of activist groups slated to hold a massive anti-Trump tax march in Washington and at least 60 other locations on April 15th. Unreported by the news media is that most of the listed partners and support organizers of the march are openly financed by Soros or have close links to Soros financing, as Breitbart News documented last week. Meanwhile, earlier this month, Politico profiled Indivisible and reported that conservatives are spreading unfounded rumors that the group is being driven by wealthy donors like George Soros. Politico, however, seemingly failed to do even the most minimal research on the indivisible leaders cited in the news outlet's own profile. Some of those personalities are openly associated with groups financed by Soros. Politico further failed to note that the organizations cited in its article as helping to amplify indivisible's message are either financed directly by Soros or have close ties to groups funded by the billionaire. And that article goes on. Read it if you like. But let's go to influencewatch.org and you can find the Indivisible Project as well as most of their local groups set up around the country. And they are primarily funded by the Tides Foundation. So if you go over to the Tides Foundation and see who the Tides Foundation funders are, you get a long list of the world's greatest people. And by that, of course, I mean the philanthropists, the best people of us all, the people that everyone who voted for Joe Biden wishes they could be astronomically rich and constantly fixing the world in their image for everybody, for the good of everybody. The Annie E. Casey Foundation, the Arca Foundation, the Bauman Family Foundation, the California Endowment, Carnegie Corporation of New York, David and Lucille Packard Foundation, Ford Foundation, George Soros's Foundation to Promote Open Society, and George Soros's Open Society Foundations, different, the Gill Foundation, the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation, 
Nick and Leslie Hanauer Foundation, Oak Foundation USA, Pierre Omidyar's Omidyar Network Fund, the Robert Wood Johnson Foundation, the Rockefeller Brothers Fund, the Rockefeller Family Fund, the Rockefeller Foundation, Rockefeller Philanthropy Advisors, W.K. Kellogg Foundation, Wallace Global Fund 2, and the William and Flora Hewlett Foundation. And how much money are we talking? What do they do with all this money? Well, in 2020, the Tides Foundation had total revenues over a billion dollars and all but 22 million of that was from grant revenues. Their total expenditures, $619 million, $606 million of which were grants paid. And so who were they paying? Who did they give all of this money to? Here is a small list of grantees From 2015, Black Lives Matter, the ACLU, the Center for American Progress Action Fund. Well, that's John Podesta. Color of Democracy Project, Democracy Now!, Earth Justice, the International Gay and Lesbian Human Rights Commission, the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, MIT, Media Matters for America. The Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies? Well, that's strange. Planned Parenthood Action Fund, the Sierra Club, Tides Canada and Tides Network, and the Working Families Organization. And their past grantees include the Acorn Institute, the Border Action Network, the Council on American Islamic Relations, that's CARE, C-A-I-R. A bunch of environmental organizations, the Fairness and Accuracy in Reporting Group, the Feminist Majority Foundation, Greenpeace, Human Rights Watch, the League of Conservation Voters, the League of Women Voters, the Foundation for Women, NARAL, Pro-Choice America Foundation, the NAACP, Oxfam, PETA, Project Vote, the Southern Poverty Law Center, and the list just keeps going and going and going. So you have George Soros and all of the best people in the world, the philanthropists, donating millions and sometimes hundreds of millions of dollars to the Tides Foundation to support all these various elements of the global communist cause. And then you have Hillary Clinton making videos where she's obviously reading a script and not doing a very good job of it, attempting to convince normal Americans to send their money to these same people, because it's not enough that these people just organize societies in a way and take over entire countries to extract all the money and resources from the people already. They need more of your money. In fact, they need all of your money. And once you give them all of your money, then they're going to fix everything for the benefit of everyone. But to do that, they need to make sure they can still win elections. And to make sure they can still win elections, they need to sow doubt in the integrity of elections right before elections. Now, I was told 
that doing that is how you end up with a Black Lives Matter and I mean, uh, not Black Lives Matter Antifa. I mean, an insurrection. If you sowed out in election integrity before an election, then you might create an insurrection. Let's hope they're not planning to create a BLM. I mean, insurrection after these midterms. I mean, yes, in the transition integrity project in 2020, they did talk about creating a BLM in response to Trump winning an election. And it was written about at length in Molly Ball's article in Time magazine that described the conspiracy by a well-funded cabal to solidify Joe Biden's win in the face of resistance from people who knew that they actually won. But hey, it's 2022 now, and they have to figure out how to use their playbook in the event that the entire country wants them all out of office and honestly, out of the positions where they dominate our culture. And they know that's coming. What is their big fear? Well, the fear that Hillary Clinton mentioned in her little spiel was that the right-wing extremists on the Supreme Court were going to decide the Moore versus Harper case in a way that will not please the global communists. Hillary Clinton is worried that they will uphold the Constitution and the state's role in determining how elections are governed within the states. She's concerned that our elections will not be decided by the popular vote. But our elections are not decided by the popular vote anyway. She calls the electoral college, electoral college, as she says, anachronistic. It means it's from a past era. It's no longer good enough to serve us now. It's amazing how often these communists will say that about elements of the Constitution. You might think after hearing them make this same argument over a variety of issues, like gun rights, for instance, that they simply don't like the Constitution and that they don't want the Constitution anymore. It's like they see the American Constitution as a hindrance to the advancement of the global communist order. And of course, that's exactly what it is. And that's exactly why they don't like it, because the Constitution intends to preserve individual liberty for Americans and the sovereignty of America. And both of those things are in direct opposition to any chance the global communists have of actually creating a one world global government. She says right wing extremists have a plan to literally steal the 2024 election. You got that? Elections cannot be stolen and never have been stolen. The 2020 election, most of all, definitely not stolen. In fact, it was the safest and most secure election of all time. And all it takes for elections to then be stolen is simply someone else being in power. So it's not that they're going to steal these midterms because she can't say that. She just can't say that. Not yet, at least. And two weeks, she probably will be saying that. But if you let them win in this cycle, well, then they're going to steal the 2024 election. She's sowing doubt in the integrity of our elections two years ahead of time. 
And you might remember that she was the person who spent the four years between 2016 and 2020 sowing doubt in the outcome of the 2016 election. She said over and over again that Donald Trump is not a legitimate president. Now, I know it's different in the false reality. And in the false reality, there is a good and justifiable reason why she is not doing anything bad by sowing doubt in our elections. She's just understanding how important our elections are. But in the observable empirical reality, there is no difference in principle whatsoever between what she is doing and what we're accused of doing in causing an insurrection. She's saying they're not even hiding it. And it's funny because the media makes sure that they're not hiding it. In fact, they report all of it. And all of us are more than happy to say, yes, there is a problem with the election systems. We do want to change the election systems because you have changed the election systems and you did it so that you can steal elections with no recourse from the people whatsoever. We are intending to eliminate that system. That is exactly what we're doing. The funny thing, though, is that Hillary Clinton and her allies have also not hidden the fact that they are trying to steal elections. You see, we're just trying to make sure elections are run in legal ways, according to the law and in safe ways that make sure only real legal Americans can vote. And in ways that make sure that a bunch of fake voter registries can't flood the system in support of a bunch of fake ballots that will flood the system and be voted in whatever way the regime chooses after harvesting those ballots. And they're not hiding it. They try to make all of this stuff the law for the entire country. That's why they were trying to pass H.R. 1 as soon as the illegitimate regime took over, except what they're promoting is illegal and it's unconstitutional and the courts are finding it unconstitutional, which is why all of these people are freaking out so hard. It's not just that they're losing in reality. It's not just that no one is coming out to support Democrats. What do they have? 20 percent of the country left. 25%? It can't be much more than that. They didn't have 50% in 2020. And even the analysts at the New York Times are making estimates based on an overall seven point shift toward Republicans. A seven point shift toward Republicans, if you take the completely ridiculous turnout number for the 2020 election, 156, 157 million votes. That's 11 million votes, 11 million votes shifted into the Republican column. Even with the 2020 fraudulent numbers, that would still be a big popular vote win for Donald Trump, even with their numbers. And of course, their numbers stripped millions of votes away from Donald Trump and added probably tens of millions of votes to Joe Biden's total. The Democrat Party is not a 50-50 party. We are not a 50-50 country, and it isn't close. All it takes for the entire country to see this difference is the awakening 
to the fact that the media is simply lying about all of this. They are creating an idea of what our culture is like based on polling, based on media messaging, based on the commercials we see on television while we're watching sports. And of course, based on fraudulent vote totals in stolen elections. This is not a 50-50 country. So let's think about how the election narrative has progressed over the last mm, six months. Well, first we had the leak of the Supreme Court decision to overturn Roe versus Wade. And we were told that abortion was going to become a critical issue and it would drive Democrat turnout. And I said, hey, look around, use your eyes, use your ears, observe the world. Where is the Democrat protest movement that they said was coming if Roe versus Wade was overturned. Well, it never materialized. There was simply no one around the country who actually cared to go out and protest the Supreme Court's decision. Where were all of them? Where was BLM Antifa? Where was the movement in the streets? Didn't exist. A couple months later, they tried to tell us that Joe Biden was having all of these legislative victories and that that was going to drive Democrat momentum. We were going to see a huge spike in the polls that was going to carry them on through. And I said, hey, guys, no one's falling for that. It is just a media narrative. And what happened? No one fell for it. And everything continued moving in our direction. And now we're coming down to the end. And they were telling us, oh, the election deniers. No one's ever going to vote for those election deniers around the country. In fact, we're so confident of it. We're going to tell everybody that the Democrats donated to these candidates. And that's what pushed them through in their primaries. Oh, so devious. They were going to trick all of MAGA. Oh, you think you got this real win, but we're going to show you these MAGA candidates are going to get destroyed all across the country. And you'll know that the problem was election denial all along. But that also hasn't happened. And the election deniers are going to win everywhere because they're not actually election deniers. They are making a positive case that the 2020 election was stolen from the top of the ticket all the way down to the bottom of the ticket. And it's happened for a long time, cycle after cycle. Illegitimate officials serve in political offices around the country. They create laws that control what we're allowed to say and do. They infiltrate to the point where they're able to close down our entire society for a very deadly pandemic. They make laws so that they can do whatever they want with public school children. They can convince them they're a different gender. They can teach them entire philosophies that only make sense in the false reality about how they're supposed to hate everybody and most particularly themselves. And all of those policies, all of those laws were put in place by people who didn't win their elections. What does that tell you about the legitimacy of all of their laws? And now the election deniers have made that case to the American public and the American public has weighed and measured that case and found that the election deniers are right. And they've weighed and measured the candidates and found that, oh, the election deniers are the ones with the character 
to stand up and serve and call all of this stuff out in the face of some of the most malicious cultural forces we've ever seen at work in this country. And the truth is, they're the same malicious forces that have always existed in this country. So it's no surprise that they exist predominantly within the Democrat Communist Party, the party of the KKK, the party of slavery and Jim Crow, the party of urban decay, the party that makes absolutely everything about race. And so the idea that the election deniers were going to cost Republicans elections across the country, well, that has proved wanting as well. And so here we are with Democrat polls plummeting around the country. CNN and other media organizations are running their own polls and releasing results that convince very stupid people that there is actually Democrat momentum and that these Democrat candidates can win in legitimate elections around the country. But nobody believes that. And because no one believes it, they are forced to continue scaling back on the polling. They have to continue scaling back on the narrative to the point where people will believe and accept whatever the final result is at least enough to stop talking about election fraud. Now, I have no doubt at this point that the Republicans are going to win and win big, but that doesn't mean that the elections were legitimate. The Democrats and complicit uniparty Republicans are going to try to help the uniparty win in as many places as they can in the places where no one would believe that the uniparty candidate has won. They will allow patriotic Republicans and some MAGA Republicans to win because the truth is they don't really have a choice if they don't allow MAGA Republicans to win anywhere, they know that people will clearly see the election fraud in action. And I talked about this principle with Glenn Youngkin last year. We were all told the red wave got Glenn Youngkin over the top, but that was never really true. They used election fraud in Virginia to create a certain outcome. They were okay with Glenn Youngkin winning because the Glenn Youngkin win, they believed, would convince everyone that our elections were safe and secure. And they did that while on the same night stealing the New Jersey governorship for Phil Murphy in the exact same way that they've stolen elections in the past. The purpose isn't only to put Democrats and only put people they want in office. That is an ideal outcome for them. But all of that has to be supported by the narrative that says they have a chance of doing that. They have tried to create that narrative for months on end now in every imaginable way, and they have failed at doing it. That is no longer a possible outcome for them because as much as they want their candidates in office, what they want most of all is to preserve the election fraud apparatus. And the only way to do that in a cycle like this one is to give the election deniers a big enough win that they will ignore the election fraud that does exist. They will accept the losses in places where they can't justify their wins or they can't generate enough election fraud to produce the outcomes they had wanted. 
And judging by the Politico article from yesterday and Hillary Clinton's ridiculous video, they will try to make the child brains and Americans generally, Americans in the center, people who imagine themselves as centrists, even though centrists do not exist, believe that the Republican wins were somehow illegitimate and they'll create a national conversation around the illegitimacy of the new Republican officials in office and the threat they pose to our democracy. And while doing that, they will be attempting to divert the conversation away from actual instances of election fraud around the country where they will try to rack up their biggest wins. They may be forced to cede entire states and then attempt to make up for it in other states like California, for instance, where they can build up these massive popular vote totals and report those as proof that Americans are actually divided about who they want in power. And they'll try to provide themselves enough of a defense in Congress and in the Senate to hold off the effects of the massive red wave that is going to drown the Democrat Communist Party forever. They will certainly lose the prize that they intended to keep in the Congress, in the Senate, in state houses around the country, even down to the local level. But as we're focused on key races in those states we call swing states, they will actually be trying to reinforce their infiltration into other states that we commonly understand as red states. Keep an eye on Kansas and Oklahoma because it seems like those are both targets for exactly what I'm talking about. The media told us a couple of months ago that Kansans went out and voted to keep abortion legal in Kansas. Does anyone believe that? And they're now trying to sell us on the idea through polling that Oklahoma's governor, Kevin Stitt, is going to lose to a Democrat opponent. Can anyone believe that? So they started out pretending they were going to have all these big wins, and then they scaled back a little bit. They retreated and argued, well, you know, maybe we're not going to have these big wins, but we'll at least win enough. And these MAGA candidates, they're not going to get into office. And then they scale back to, well, okay, we're going to lose. And some of the MAGA candidates might get in, but it's not going to be that many because the country hates MAGA. The country can't stand election deniers. Anybody who calls the integrity of our elections into doubt is going to cause an insurrection. And now they're almost all the way to their retreat position of, okay, well, these election deniers are going to win because the country is just in such a state, but they're going to be illegitimate. And the only reason they're even getting into office is to steal the 2024 election for Donald Trump. Imagine being the kind of person who still supports these people and has to support them at each and every turn. Whatever the communists say, these people believe it. Our media is actually now to the point where they sound like what we were told about the media in North Korea under the rule of Kim Jong-il, where they would just go and report that he played golf and shot a hole in one on every single hole. Joe Biden has spent his first two years 
falling off bicycles, licking ice cream cones and molesting young children. And they're out there telling us that this is one of the most significant and best run presidencies in American history. They have a degenerate cyborg who has lived in his mom's basement for 50 years, an actual walking negative vaccine side effect in John Fetterman. And they're pretending that Pennsylvania voters might come out and vote for him. And it's worth remembering that when the count on election night stopped, Donald Trump was up by 800,000 in Pennsylvania. There is absolutely no reason to believe any of the votes that came in after that point are legitimate. Joe Biden didn't win Pennsylvania in 2020. He got demolished. And they're depending on a media narrative and election fraud to be able to get John Fetterman and Josh Shapiro over the finish line. One of the big stories out today is about voter intimidation in Arizona. There are these groups around the country keeping an eye on ballot drop boxes throughout the day and throughout the night because they saw 2000 mules. They know how the operation is run. And they want the mules, the ballot harvesters hired by the communists, paid by the communists to insert fraudulent votes into the election. They want those people to know they're being watched as they commit crimes against this country and they will be held to account for it. And because that's so dangerous to their system, we are being told that this is actually a voter intimidation effort by MAGA. In fact, they're armed. And that's very intimidating, even in states that allow open carry. And they're not near the drop boxes. They're standing away from the drop boxes at the distance prescribed by law. There's nothing that they're doing that's illegal. But nonetheless, Mark Elias, the Democrat election fraud lawyer, and former member of Team Clinton, is suing over it. Now, why is he doing that? Is he doing it to protect those voters who are feeling very intimidated? A class of people that just does not really exist at all? Well, no, of course not. He's doing it because without those mules and without those drop boxes, they can't win. It's an awfully strange thing for them to be doing if 2000 mules was fully debunked. You can't make a legitimate case that you're protecting the right of the people to vote if you're the people who steal elections and wage lawfare to make sure that election laws within states don't ever have to be followed. And that's exactly who Mark Elias is and exactly what he does. And it's also worth pointing out that this can't be voter intimidation. This can't be dissuading anyone from actually voting because no one actually needs the drop boxes. And that has always been true. States that have mail-in balloting don't need drop boxes because you can just put the ballot in the mail. And if you got the mail-in ballot in the mail, that means you have access to the mail. So you could just simply mail your ballot back or you could drop it off at the polling place on election day or 
you could just vote in person. Why are they so concerned with protecting Mark Zuckerberg's ballot drop boxes? Oh, yeah, it's because they only exist to commit election fraud. This is from the Seattle Times yesterday. An editorial by the Seattle Times editorial board. Throw the book at Meta for intentional campaign finance violations. Meta, the parent company of Facebook, intentionally broke Washington's campaign finance law hundreds of times. The court should impose the maximum penalty on the company as state attorney general Bob Ferguson has asked. A King County Superior Court judge concluded that Meta intentionally broke the law. It sold political ads, but didn't make information about those sales available to the public as Washington campaign finance law requires. The usual maximum penalty for that sort of violation is $10,000, but the judge can triple it for punitive damages when the violation was intentional. With 822 violations, Meta could be fined $24.6 million. And that is a relatively small sum, considering that they put more than half a billion dollars into the 2020 election and then the January 5th, 2021 runoff in Georgia. This wasn't an honest mistake or ignorance about Washington's laws, which have been on the books for decades. Meta knew full well what was required, if only because this wasn't its first offense. In 2018, the state accused the company, then just called Facebook, of similar violations. Meta then independently announced it would stop selling political ads in Washington. It didn't stop. It continued targeting users here and pocketing the money from campaigns and PACs. That sort of hubris demands the maximum penalty. A stiff penalty will also serve as a warning to others. No company profiting off political advertising, not even one as big as Meta, can be allowed to ignore the rules. In its court filings, Meta sought to have the campaign finance law declared unconstitutional. The judge was having none of it. He cited Meta's pattern of knowing and repeated violations and lack of good faith and failure to acknowledge and take responsibility for its violations in his order. The U.S. Supreme Court has said that money is speech in campaigns. That flawed legal theory haunts American politics, but it doesn't preclude some rules and regulations. Critically, states may require transparency. Spend all you like, but the public deserves to know who is spending how much on ads supporting which candidates. Washington has some of the best campaign finance transparency rules in the country. By not following them, Meta denied Washingtonians their best defense against the corrupting power of money in politics. The company sought to keep people in the dark. Worse, it sought to gut the law so that every other advertising platform could do the same. The $24.6 million that Ferguson wants from Meta isn't really enough. It's little more than a rounding error for a company that reported revenue of nearly $29 billion in the second quarter of this year. But it is the maximum that the law allows, and that's what Washington deserves. Now, all of this is nice and good, but you might notice that this is a limited hangout. They are discussing one element of Meta's illegal, unconstitutional, and intentional interference with Washington's elections, but it doesn't acknowledge what Meta was actually doing, which was furthering the installation and execution of the election fraud apparatus that Mark Elias would find himself fighting to protect. What they're actually doing here is saying 
Look at this. We are aware that meta Facebook is an issue, but don't worry. This is all they did. It was just about political ads. It was just about transparency. All we have to do is enforce these laws and the meta problem just goes away. And this is always the strategy. Acknowledge that a problem exists. Blame the problem on some abuse that will never come back to the people actually creating the problem or address what the real problem is and communicate to everyone that the problem having been discovered is now being dealt with. So really there's nothing to worry about. So let's go to Texas. This is from yesterday in the Houston Chronicle. Texas tops 17.7 million voters as early voting begins today. Texas now has almost 17.7 million voters, 1.9 million more than four years ago when Governor Greg Abbott won re-election. New voter registration totals from the Texas Division of Elections show the state's voter rolls are continuing to grow even faster than the population. While the state's population has grown about 7% since 2018, voter registrations have grown about 12%. Nowhere has the surge been bigger than in Harris County, where 230,000 people have been added to the voter rolls since 2018. Tarrant and Bexar counties are next, with more than 130,000 more voters than four years ago. All three counties voted Democratic in the 2020 presidential election. The result is that at least one of every five voters in Texas never cast a general election ballot in the Lone Star State prior to 2014, a remarkable wild card in a state that had stable politics and a slow stream of new voters for a generation before that. Some of the biggest percentage increases in voter registrations are coming from booming counties that voted Republican in 2020. Oh, Texas is going to become a purple state. Comal County, just north of San Antonio, saw a 29% increase in voter registrations from four years ago, the highest growth percentage of any county in the state. Not far behind was Kaufman County, east of Dallas, which also grew by 29%. The surge in voter registration in Texas is partly because of how aggressive candidates and political parties have become in navigating the state's voter registration system to sign up voters. Ah, they've become so good at navigating the system. Texas has rules that require people registering others to vote to go through training programs to become volunteer deputy voter registrars. And there's a hitch. A registrar must be certified separately in each county in which they register voters. Until 2014, few groups went through that red tape. But since then, more liberal leaning organizations have been signing up far more voters in Houston, San Antonio and the Rio Grande Valley. That has forced Republican groups also to step up their game in those areas. Since 2014, Texas has added 3.6 million voters, roughly equivalent to the populations of Wisconsin and Minnesota. The increase can be traced to 2014 when a group of campaign strategists from President Barack Obama's reelection campaign launched an effort they called Battleground Texas to build an army of volunteer registrars. What we are going to do is bring the fight to Texas and make it a battleground state so that anybody who wants to be our commander in chief, they have to fight for Texas. The group's founder, Jeremy Byrd, said in a national interview with talk show host Stephen Colbert in 2013. From 2000 to 2014, Texas voter registrations grew at a glacial pace. 
the state added just 1 million registered voters, about the same number that the state now adds to the voting rolls every year. So Texas just keeps adding new voter registries at an unbelievable pace, a pace that outpaces the growth, the population growth of Texas. And Seth Keschel, who's been working on the voter registration irregularities that we see around the country that support election fraud, said this this morning on Telegram. Read this piece of political propaganda and you can feel the giddiness of the press admitting openly that voter registration is occurring at a greater rate than population growth, not even eligible population growth. You got that? So it's weird that voter registration would increase at a rate that outpaces the population growth among eligible voters. That would be weird enough already, but it's actually outpacing total population growth. So if a family of five moves to Texas and there's two parents and three young kids, those five people would only be able to account for two voter registrations. And that would be totally normal. It would be very odd to create five new voter registrations when only two new eligible voters moved to Texas. But it's even weirder that the voter registration growth outpaces the entire population growth. So where are all these new voters coming from? They're just people who have been in Texas forever and never bothered to register to vote. And now these Obama linked NGOs come in and there's all of these new voter registrations. How does this happen? Oh, it's because everyone's moving to Texas from California, just like every other state where that's the explanation for the massive growth in voter registrations. Is California's voter registry shrinking? No, that's growing too. So who is creating all of these new voter registrations? Are these attached to real voters? Well, no, of course they're not. But look at that. They're doing it right out in the open. They're telling everyone what they're doing. Look at all these new voter registrations. That's going to explain the massive turnout that we have that gives Beto O'Rourke the governorship of Texas. Now I'm in Texas and I'm sad to report that you will see a Beto sign every now and then, particularly in more elitist, more hipster communities. You'll see a Beto sign here and there, but that's like the bluest of the blue areas. And you still rarely see them. There is no massive movement for Beto in Texas. The whole thing is a joke. But how are they going to get what they want, which is for Texas to be a purple state and eventually a blue state? Well, you got to jack up the voter registrations. This is also from Texas at the Texan news. Texas Secretary of State finds serious breaches in Harris County 2020 election audit. How could it be so? An ongoing forensic audit of the 2020 election in Harris County found serious breaches in elections management, and the Texas Secretary of State's office has given the county's new elections administrator five days to correct the issues. In addition, the Secretary of State will be sending inspectors and trainers to observe and assist the county with procedures, as well as perform randomized checks on election records from early voting through ballot tabulation. 
The attorney general's office will also dispatch a task force to the county to immediately respond to any legal issues identified by secretary of state staff, poll watchers or voters during the 2022 general election. The state's plans were outlined in a letter from director of the forensic audit division, Chad Ennis, to the county on Tuesday, describing violations of both state and federal election codes that govern chain of custody and record keeping in elections management. Issues found by auditors relate primarily to the county's extra legal drive through voting initiated by then interim county clerk Chris Hollins. Auditors found that for at least 14 polling locations, the county does not show chain of custody for the mobile ballot boxes and that there were multiple mobile ballot boxes created for some voting locations. Auditors say the MBBs from the polling locations were not the MBBs ultimately tabulated. They also note that they have been able to locate some missing MBBs, but have not been given an explanation as to why the originals were not tabulated. Each MBB can hold 9,999 ballots. Another issue found by auditors is that poll book and provisional voting data provided by the county do not match the number of cast vote records on some of the devices. My, my, my. Ennis also noted that after upgrading voting systems, the county does not appear to have retained, quote, any equipment or computers that provide relevant reports or alternatively can read the MBBs from 2020 or recover the cast vote records stored in them as required by both state and federal election codes. A spokesperson for the secretary of state explained to the Texan that the office sends inspectors to Harris County and many others for every election. Our inspectors are former county election officials themselves, so they have the ability to catch mistakes before they happen and make sure proper chain of custody protocols and Texas election code laws are followed. Last year, the secretary of state launched a forensic audit of the 2020 elections in the state's two largest Democratic and two largest Republican counties. Harris County Judge Lena Hidalgo called the move an irresponsible, dirty trick and sought to legally block the state's investigation. I wonder why Democrat judges would want to block state investigations into the elections, especially in an election that everyone knows was the safest and most secure election of all time. Although Hollins oversaw the 2020 general election that year, commissioners voted to take election responsibilities away from the elected county clerk and voter registrar's office and appoint an elections administrator instead. County elections experienced multiple problems under the first elections administrator, Isabel Longoria, including 10,000 uncounted ballots in the reported totals after the March 2022 primary election. Longoria resigned in July and has been replaced by Clifford Tatum. While Hidalgo has not succeeded in legally blocking the audit, Ennis's letter to Tatum notes that under Longoria, the county had not been cooperative. And the article goes on. I encourage you to take a look. But finally, last night, Ron DeSantis debated Charlie Crist, his Democrat opponent for governor in Florida. Charlie Crist used to be governor of Florida as a Republican. And of course, there are plenty of fun sound bites, as there always are when Ron DeSantis is around. And of course, Republicans believe that Ron DeSantis won the debate and Democrats are saying that Charlie Crist won the debate. 
But I'm not really interested in that because Ron DeSantis is obviously going to win. I am very interested in the fact that the legitimacy of the 2020 election was never brought up as a topic. Now, that has been one of the most crucial topics for debate nationwide for the last two years. Every time a politician is on television, if that politician is MAGA or any kind of Republican, they have been put on record about their views on the 2020 election. For candidates like Carrie Lake, questions about the 2020 election are asked anytime she goes anywhere. If you recall, about a year and a half ago, every time a Republican was on television, that Republican was forced to pledge fealty to the Joe Biden regime. They had to say Joe Biden is a legitimate president. The election in 2020 was free and fair and had a proper outcome and was legitimately certified. And Joe Biden was legitimately inaugurated as president. Essentially, they were forced to lie to the nation or they were given the opportunity to declare their allegiance to the establishment, to the uniparty. They were happy to support the election fraud apparatus because it would increase their own power. They never expected any of this to still be ongoing a year and a half later. After the insurrection, it was easy for Republicans to come out and say, no, 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 no. You guys have to understand I'm one of the good ones. I'm totally happy with the outcome of that fraudulent election because it gets Donald Trump out of there. And my donors will never allow me to support MAGA. So if I'm going to have any sort of career in politics, I'd better take the side of the donors. I'd better be never Trump. I'd better be anti-MAGA. I had better declare that that election was safe and secure. Republicans have been asked about this nonstop for two years now. They were even asked in the lead up to the 2020 election whether or not they would respect the results of the election. But they get big, bad Ron DeSantis on a debate stage and don't even bother asking. Charlie Crist doesn't bring it up. Now, I asked about this last night on Twitter and some of the DeSantis simps, these people who think they have a very serious intellectual argument about how much better it would be for Ron DeSantis to be the candidate in 2024 and not Donald Trump. Well, they all got really crazy. Oh, you can't give up that election fraud thing, huh? Ha ha ha. What an idiot. You don't know anything. And it's like, hey, moron, you don't know anything about election fraud whatsoever. Not the first thing. You don't understand anything about how our elections are run. But you believe there's a zero percent chance in you being wrong about something you don't know anything about. That's an awfully strange hill to die on. And by the way, it's going to be really funny for these people once the entire country understands that election fraud is a regular thing in our society. What are they going to do then when they don't know anything about election fraud and we already know all about it? Are they going to pretend that all the information we're communicating accurately about the real state of things is something we all just found out when they found it out? It is one of the worst bets of all time. But by me simply asking if Ron DeSantis had been asked about the 2020 election in the debate, they thought I was attacking Ron DeSantis. That doesn't make any sense. There are two reasons why Ron DeSantis would not be asked by the media 
on a national stage about the 2020 election. Either they are worried about his answer and that Ron DeSantis might break the election fraud story open nationwide in front of a national audience, in front of establishment Republicans who hang on every little word Ron DeSantis says. And maybe they were worried about that level of exposure of the election fraud apparatus or, and I'm just saying, or. Ron DeSantis gets a free pass from the media on answering that question because they don't want to get Ron DeSantis on the record about the 2020 election. Because what happens if Ron DeSantis says that that election was actually safe and secure and he's done virtually nothing about it in Florida and hasn't really said anything about it? And again, I'm not a DeSantis hater. I'm not a Tulsi Gabbard hater for the record either. Tulsi Gabbard endorsed Carrie Lake. Great. That's not enough to declare Tulsi Gabbard as a good candidate to be Trump's vice president in 2024. And that was my point all along. It's not enough to just think that she's on our side now. But the same holds true of Ron DeSantis. Ron DeSantis has done a better job than pretty much every other governor. I'm not going to take that away from him. But at the same time, he hasn't done some spectacular job relative to what he could have done. And I say over and over again, I am totally open to the possibility that Ron DeSantis is playing his role perfectly in the scope of a grander plan and that he was asked to simply ignore election fraud because the plan did not call for Ron DeSantis to be out in front of that issue. But if that's not the case, Ron DeSantis could have opened Florida's elections up to an audit and we would have discovered the same problems in Florida's elections as we see everywhere else. To say that Florida does a better job of controlling those issues than other states is only to say that the establishment selects different outcomes in Florida to support the narrative that they have cleaner elections. And that's all based on the R and the D next to the candidate's name, which, if they're a member of the Uniparty, means absolutely nothing. So did the establishment of both parties decide that the 2020 election wouldn't be discussed at the debate because they were worried about Ron DeSantis blowing the story up nationwide? Or were they just protecting Ron DeSantis because he will be the eventual choice of the establishment and the establishment depends on the election fraud apparatus remaining in place. And I want to be really clear about this. If Trump selects DeSantis as the vice presidential candidate, I will be more than happy to support Ron DeSantis. If Trump bows out and DeSantis is the next man up, if Trump designates him as the heir apparent, I am more than happy to support Ron DeSantis. But until that time, the question needs to be asked, why does Ron DeSantis get a free pass on discussing the 2020 election? Why is the establishment media treating him different than they treat all other Republican candidates around the country? The Democrat establishment doesn't want him to blow the story up. And the Republican establishment doesn't want either scenario.
They don't want Ron DeSantis to say that there was widespread and overwhelming and decisive election fraud in 2020. And they also don't want him to say that the election was safe and secure because the first thing blows up their system. And the second thing ruins Ron DeSantis with the entire Republican base. It's bad enough that Ron DeSantis has not been out in front of this issue himself. It's even worse that the establishment on both sides is happy to cover up that fact. Either way, the whole thing is collapsing and the communists are in full retreat. I'll be back tomorrow at the same reasonable time on the same reasonable podcast network. I don't have a network. Masks and lockdowns don't work. They lied to you about a pandemic. And Joe Biden will never be president. In my mind, that's the end game. If you're listening to this episode for free, you can support me and support the show and the work I do by signing up for a paid subscription at I'mYourModerator.Substack.com. You can do so for as low as $50 a year or $5 a month. Comes out to under a quarter per episode and you'll blast right through the paywall for all of the writing. The merch store is www.cancelcouture.com and you can find everything else by heading to Linktree, linktree.com slash I'm your moderator. And I'll see you soon out on the range. catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row dreaming of something better well hello fresh is your guilt-free dream come true baby it's me geeky palmer let's wake up those taste buds with hot juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi mm. hello fresh stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at hellofresh.com let's get this dinner party started even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. In my mind, that's the end game. Thanks for listening. 
If you'd like to follow what I'm reading and thinking throughout the day, you can do that by downloading the Telegram Messenger app and going to t.me slash I'm your moderator. On social media, you can follow me on Truth Social, Getter, and Gab at I'm your moderator. I also have channels on Rumble and BitChute. If you'd like to follow the writing, you can find me at I'm your moderator.substack.com. The merch site is cancelcouture.com or go direct shop.spreadshirt.com slash cancel dash couture. If you'd like to support the podcast financially, the best place to do that is Kofa. Go to ko-fi.com slash I'm your moderator. And all of these details will appear in the show notes with each episode. I'll see you soon down on the range. It's hell!